and welcome to Navigating Nursing. I am your host, Laura Whitehead, a registered adult nurse, a critical care nurse, qualified lecturer and fellow of the Higher Education Academy. And I'm joined today by Sarah Evans, who is a preceptorship matron at Guys and St Thomas's working within the clinical education team. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining me today. Thank you very much, Laura. It's good to be here. So we're going to go right back to the beginning. Why did you decide to become a nurse? I think um, I I don't have any nurses or medical people in my family. My mum had always uh, been involved in care, particularly with elderly people, and um, is a very caring, compassionate and sort of empathetic woman. And I think uh, she was a role model, really, for me to go into something that involved looking after people. Um, and so when it came to sort of taking A-levels, I took my science A-levels and uh, decided that that would be the route I, I'd take. Um, and did you ever have a clear idea while you were doing your training where you wanted to work or what speciality you wanted to go into? No. And this is something I discussed with my preceptees, actually, when we talk about their career progression, because I think people often worry about it. Um, but I was certainly one of those students that uh, pretty much every placement I did, I thought, oh, this is really good. Maybe I'll become you know, a midwife or, oh, I know, maybe I'll become a cardiology nurse or, oh, I quite like A&E. Maybe I should be an A&E nurse. So I was very much one of those people. There were some things it was clear I wasn't going to do um, when I did my mental health placement. My hair started to fall out, so it became clear I wasn't yeah, going not, to be a mental health nurse. Um, I didn't like, particularly enjoy women's health. Um, but I, I definitely didn't have a clear idea of what I wanted to do. And in fact, my last placement as a student was uh, respiratory medicine, um, chest medicine. And I was really unhappy about going there as a placement because it wasn't something I'd ever been attracted to during my training. Uh, but I actually met um, Sister Jane when I started there. She was our ward manager and she was a, a, such a role model, and such an inspiration to me. She really cared for the patients. She really cared for her staff. Um, she wouldn't, for example, I can always remember we had a, a patient they were trying to send up for an A&E &E who needed cardiac monitoring. And Sister Jane said, I'm sorry, we can't take this patient onto our ward because our nurses can't read cardiac monitors. Therefore, it's not safe for the patient and it's not safe for my staff. And I, that's, wow. I mean, that was in 1994. So that's really stuck in my head. Um, and it's because of Sister Jane that, that I suddenly thought maybe I should go into chest medicine. And I've had a passion for heart and lungs ever since. Well, thank you, Sister Jane. If only she'd yeah. known what the, yeah, what, what that exactly. inspiration. And isn't it funny how you have and a I key person that, that kind of stays in your mind all those years later yeah. or, or a key situation? I've had a few of those during my career. And I think one of the things I, I always say to the, to the preceptees that I'm supporting now is that we never truly understand the impact we have as nurses on our patients and our patients' families. And, you know, I like to think that there are probably patients that my, our preceptees are caring for now who maybe in 10, 15 years time are talking to their families or their friends and saying, you know, I was once really unwell in hospital and there was this lovely nurse that cared for me, or there was this nurse that explained something very well to me or sat and held my hand while I was scared. And you, you, we, we'll never, they may never know that, but we never truly understand the impact. I don't think that we have on, on patients. And also I think, it, yeah, it could be five, 10 minutes that, that, that you don't even log as a, as a particularly significant moment if someone said you know in your kind of clinical career or whatever type of career you've had what's the standout moments that might yeah. not even be like in the top 
10 50 no. 100 but that's no. for that person and that family that's made I had a, a man once stopped me on the tube and he was like Laura how are you and I had no you know you have you're looking at someone and you've got no recollection like and Absolutely. I was like is it do I know you from work is it you you know when you're trying to like do you know one of my sisters like you know when you're trying yeah. to like What's place from yeah context mm. and he was like and it was really embarrassing and he was like oh you don't you know you don't remember me do you and I was like no and he's like you looked after my mum and I was like how is she uh, and um he was like oh no you were caring for her while she was end of life and I have never uh, been so mortified you know when you're stood there and you're like oh but it was just that kind of unexpected not not knowing and it was years I think it was like three years earlier and he'd completely yeah. remembered um and outside of uniform just on the tube had yeah. um, and he was really lovely and we had a really nice chat after but that situation made me realize I couldn't even tell you not not to be horrible but I couldn't even give specifics about you know and um, mm. we're good at remembering side rooms aren't we in intensive care we remember the room we were in <laughs> yes. or the bay or yeah. like where like what I couldn't even I was like no I'm not getting a room I'm not getting like some deja yeah. vu um but yeah. yeah but obviously you know so pivotal for those other people don't never underestimate the impact we have yeah and I think it's all really good, to, you know, to talk about not maybe knowing because um, of undergrad, you know, me teaching undergrads mainly um, and everyone's, oh, yeah. you know, what type of nurse are you going to be? What's your speciality going to yeah. be? And right from like module one, year one, people have got yeah. such an entrenched. And I was one of those. I thought 100 percent hand on my heart. I'm, I'm an A&E nurse on all my placements. Uh, the feedback would be you'd be a great A&E nurse. You're really bubbly or really chatty. Like you'll be great there. Loved it as a student, went there as a qualified nurse absolutely uh, like I thought my brain was going to leak out of my ears um, and yeah my hair started falling out and I was like this is too you know it might have been the you know the environment the training the staff levels you know whatever it was I was like I can't um yeah, yeah this isn't sustainable for me on mm. a you know on a on a day out day in day out basis and for me that was a big almost like a crisis of confidence because it was like I always thought I was going to be this and now yeah. I'm here and it's it's not me or I'm not that um, mm. and is that bad is that a negative um, and of course it's and I not. really don't think it is I think we're almost um, there's an embarrassment of riches really in nursing now because when I trained which was you know 30 years ago there was a sense you got your uh, in those days it was a d-grade equivalent band five equivalent and then your e-grade and you worked your way up the bands or up the grades um, until you got to a, a sort of sister's post on your ward whereas now you know if you want to go into clinical specialist you could become a clinical specialist, become a ward manager, become a matron head of nursing, become um, a research nurse, go into education. We have so many choices now as nurses. It's, it's quite remarkable. But I, I mean, I, I do tend to say I've sort of fallen into a lot of things that I've done along my career, things that have sort of fallen across my path. Um, I certainly didn't want to be an intensive care nurse. When I was a student, I, I spent two weeks on intensive care and thought it was a terrible place. So that was never, ever on my career plan. Um, when I qualified um, but again it was one of those chance meetings with somebody so a nurse we had a nurse from intensive care who came to work with us on the ward at my first ward um, for us for three months and we were on a night shift together and I can remember it was that sort of three o'clock in the morning time dark you know, a little bit scary on the ward and we could hear this banging coming from the end of the ward and we sort of looked at each other and I said I'm not going down without yeah. you so we <laughs> went down together and um, it was a, a patient who was actually fitting and it was the end of his bed banging against the wall that was making the noise and I remember this nurse just 
seemed to click into sort of almost automatic pilot. She seemed to know what to do. She was confident. She was competent. And I remember looking at her and thinking, my goodness, if that's what it means to be an intensive care nurse, maybe I should go and do a bit of intensive care. Maybe I should go and get six months experience. Um, that was the plan. Now, that nurse has recently come back into my professional life as our chief nurse. Now, she has obviously no memory of that moment, but it was pivotal to me in my career. So another example of somebody that perhaps is totally oblivious, but has had a big impact. So that's how I fell into intensive care. And, um, and I went for six months and 27 years later, <laughs> I thought maybe I should consider doing something else. <laughs> Yeah, and it just goes to show, doesn't it, the longevity of, and also within intensive care, you did a lot of work, haven't you, with ECMO and training yes. and and that care. Yeah. So incredibly specialised. Yes, but again, even within within intensive care, you know, there were I was given an opportunity to be um, a basic life support trainer when I was a deputy sister, as as to do some an extra project, you know, as we like to do as nurses rather than. We look after our patients, then usually we have a special interest project as well. And I went along to do this training and I had a room full of fellow trainees. Um, I knew the trainer. He had worked with him on intensive care. So he was I was he was very friendly, very approachable. And um, we had to do a five minute talk on a topic connected with resuscitation. And mine was on cardiac massage, cardiac compressions. And I stood up in the front of the room and I said three words and I burst into tears. Oh. and ran out of the room and swore I would never ever do any training ever again now that was in 1999 <laughs> and you know here I find myself however many years later having become a clinical teacher and then a practice educator practice development nurse um, and I really love standing in front of a group of people in a room and training now so I think you know at the time it, it, it wasn't for me um, but even though it was that was a bad experience circumstances led to me then gaining more confidence competence and and doing it as a, essentially as a career now I suppose and how did yeah. you get over that kind of I guess fear or worry around you know standing in front of a class and talking to talking to a group of people was <laughs> there like a, was there like a planned strategy I wish I could say there was Laura but I would be lying because what actually happened was um, I'd always enjoyed teaching at the bedside so when we had a new intensive care nurse or students in intensive care and I was at the bedside with my patient sharing the care of the patient and, and training there and teaching people I loved that I got a lot of satisfaction from seeing people develop and seeing their confidence and competence grow so I think there was always a sort of seed there but the actual what I call the stand-up teaching side no was never anything I was going to do and then I got a job so um, I was a junior sister in intensive care and then I there was a job to be a clinical teacher at Charing Cross and Hammersmith and I thought oh that sounds good here's an opportunity to do bedside teaching but not have the resp whole responsibility for the patient as well sounds great so I got the job I was very excited it was my first sort of sister equivalent post and I went along and I was two weeks into the job and my manager said to me, oh, Sarah, we've got a, a group of um, internationally educated nurses or adaptation nurses, as, as they used to be called. And I'd like you to do their communication teaching session. So I looked at her and thought, oh, no, uh -oh. no, 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 I didn't. This this is not. No, surely this is not part of the job. I, I did not sign up for that. 
But of course, I was two weeks into the job. I couldn't turn around to my new manager and say, I can't do that. So I just had to get on and do it. And they were the most lovely group of nurses I think I've ever taught. They were so smiley and encouraging and approachable. And it just, it sort of broke that, um, oh, I, it, I don't know, that broke the back of it for me, I suppose. It, it just then gave me the confidence to think, do you know what, I, I did that and, and I came out the other end and it was all right, I survived. So maybe this is something I can do in future. And of course, there were more opportunities within that job to do that. And then when I moved to Manchester a couple of years later to take up a practice development nurse role, um, I started doing some pan Manchester work um, and some trust wide teaching as well. So it's, I sort of built built my confidence um, over the years with that. But yes, it was <laughs> there was no strategy. It was I was sort of forced to do it. And that well, was probably the best thing. It worked. And I think as well, I find like teaching different groups of students, like I'm teaching the postgraduate intensive care module started in January. And it's so different because everyone's silent. Everyone's early. They've all got notebooks and pens and they just sat there looking at me going, well, off you go then. Where like I, some of my undergraduate, it's why are you late? Sit down. Where's your pen? Are you taking notes? Like or having to unfortunately wake some people up sometimes. Um, that oh, is the case and I just find yeah. there's a very different like mental preparation in teaching different groups and it's almost like you kind of you'll yeah. get your arm on a bit haven't you you've got to get your your prep what are you going to do if I don't know 10 of them like I taught teaching the other day and only five were there on time out of a class of 65 yeah and it was like uh, and right. it's interesting you say that because we I find that infuriating because I think it's really disrespectful um, because I think if we're there putting time and effort into preparing a teaching session, then the least they can do is turn up on time. So on our day one of preceptorship, we actually do a session on professional values and we look at the trust values and we look at the NMC code in the hope that it might actually inspire some people to improve things like arriving on time. But, uh, but you're right, no. So today we had a communication day and my probably four or five people turn, turned up late. And I do, I find it absolutely infuriating um, because I think when I, I know I trained last century and you know, was, was practically with Florence Nightingale, but there was a discipline to that. You know, I don't think it's right that, you know, we, we called everybody Mr. or Doctor or, um, you know, senior nurse. I like the fact that we're first name terms now. I think that's much more healthy. And I think some flattening of the hierarchy is a good thing, but I do think we've seemed to have lost a little bit of the respect. Um, uh, which is a shame um, not but that's only with the few I think it's very easy to concentrate on the people that aren't aren't following the rules the sort of social niceties but actually you know a lot of people are and I have got a, a, a really good bunch of, of preceptees as well who do get there 10 minutes before who do interact who do pay attention who ask appropriate questions um, so it's there's a balance I suppose because I, um, I did all my placements at Guys and St Thomas's um, for my training and did my preceptorship. My first job was on Dalton HDU. Oh, I loved our preceptorship. Um, it was it was a year then um, and they were really regular, really regular. We did. We were really lucky. We were given a lot of time to, to go to different sessions and different clinical nurse specialists. And and it was something but it was a bit of a safety net. It felt quite a little bit more comfortable in the terror of being newly qualified that um, and a lot of people worked, you know, on qualification, stayed in the trust. So out of the preceptorship, it was pretty much most of the same classes, you know, the people that 
we'd all been yeah. in our undergraduate and there was some kind of comfort in that of of knowing people and knowing the system and the rooms and the yeah. bit of safety. I, I think there is I mean I think it's you know these are there are tough times there's no no doubt about it but one of the things we've we sort of introduced when we refreshed our program in August is um, it, we, we organized a cohort system, you know, having spoken to other trusts and there's a lot of good work nationally that is going on around perceptship where we're all talking to each other, which is great and sharing good practice. But the cohort system definitely helps. I mean, I have, I have adult pediatric community learning disability um, nurses, registered nursing associates and ODPs, sort of a mixture of, of all or some in each cohort so and very different specialities but actually they're all going through that same transition of uh, being a student one day and a staff nurse the next and that's what they've got in common and it's really lovely to see the bonding and the sharing of experiences that goes on you know I always say the value of them being in a classroom together rather than them being virtual sort of training is that a lot of the value is is not I like to think a lot of value in what I'm teaching, but there's added value from the coffee time bonding, yeah. the time they spend at lunch chatting to each other. And I don't think you can ever underestimate that in education. No, and I think it's, it's quite easy to think I'm the only one that's finding this difficult or everyone else is finding this aspect fine because people aren't going to be that brutally honest are they and say actually I'm completely terrified giving on the medication round because if I give the wrong thing or if I do something wrong or yes I've been signed off for IVs but actually I'm not very comfortable with you know yeah I remember giving my first lot of blood products and being terrified that you know and I remember triple quadruple checking and then you know got the second checker who independently did it I was like are we sure like we and she was like yes you've done the checks it all through. I think this, this nurse were looking at me thinking come on <laughs> um but it's I think the going to the perception being able to say were you completely terrified when you gave a unit of blood and they're all like oh my goodness yes of course and it was like oh good I'm not I'm not yeah. the only one yeah it is it's wonderful to see that sort of the, like you say the relief and that reassurance that okay it's normal to feel this way um yeah it's good it's good and I think the multidisciplinary education, because it wasn't really until I went to the, to the trauma intensive care that I'd kind of worked that closely with so many members of the MD team. And I don't think I was quite aware of the overlap, particularly with the respiratory physios, you know, the tracheostomy team. I wasn't quite like the weaning plans. I don't think I was quite aware until I went to ITU of, of how much overlap there is yeah. with roles and how how so much value added there is from getting those experts just because you didn't necessarily have the experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that that, that perhaps led to me staying in intensive care was that teamwork um, and and the big, working with a big team of people I've, I sort of always enjoyed. I mean, we're a little bit spoiled in intensive care because everybody comes to us. Yeah, if you think about it, you know, we're not, <laughs> yeah. well, our patients don't have to go off in a chair to x-ray, x-ray come to us. You know, if we need to scan, we might go off the unit if we need surgery, they need surgery, then off the unit. But on the whole, everybody comes to us and it really then enables you to build up that, that team. And again, one of the key things I say to my preceptees in their day one is get to know your team. You know, don't assume you know what your team does. Don't assume you know what a physio does. You'll be familiar with what a physio does, perhaps directly with your patient. But what else do they do? What else is part of their role? What do their training consist of? You know, what has led them to... Um, show an interest in their why do they enjoy their physiotherapy um, why do speech and language therapists you know what took them into their careers and I, I, I really encourage them to to 
network in the purest sense of the word yeah. uh, and get to understand that the other people in their team how they work what their responsibilities are when you can't see them so you know things like oh you know I've bleeped the physio and they haven't got back to me well it could be the physio has a clinic every Tuesday morning but if you don't have that conversation and get to know then you won't know that so the more I, I just say to the preceptees all the time be curious ask lots of questions you know not necessarily just about what, what this medication is for or what that diagnosis is but questions of other people people like to share their experiences talk about themselves um, so get to know your team and, and it really does help you move forward I think. Mm. And I, I remember and um, I've got one friend that's a pharmacist and, and she was covering she does a rotate she's on a rotation and she was covering intensive care and she was like but I'm also covering all of these wards and I've also got the you know the anti-coag clinic and she was like you've got people ringing going oh this hasn't been delivered yet and she's like well the order's in like it it'll get exactly. to you but you've got no idea I would have no idea how many areas yeah. a pharmacist would and that's cover. a really good example a really good example of what I've been saying so so yeah that's definitely um a, a bit of advice I would always give people get to know your mm. team and I, and I had another friend from uni who who um I didn't know but was doing a rotation on the intensive care and I bleeped rattled off this whole like you know thing of what I needed or what was going on in this side room because I was in charge that day and he finished and went is that Laura he was like you have to say that again because I've got absolutely no idea what you're talking about and it was like his first day of his F3 rotation oh. and I'm there like are we gonna prone are we gonna paralyze like we really need to come up with a decision and he was like I don't know what any of those words mean <laughs> I was like, okay I'll call the reg and he was like that's a brilliant idea um but again if you don't if you don't know like I did it you don't know I don't know what an F3 what does what yeah, does that mean exactly um and yeah if you yeah. haven't and he goes he was saying about blood gases he was like I'm being honest I don't really understand them um I basically just look at the intensive care nurse's face and and basically whatever their reaction <laughs> is that then tells me how worried I need to be <laughs> and it made me laugh so much because I thought how many times I was like especially a really new ITU nurse I've been like oh my goodness like this gas is her you know I've been so worried and they've been like yeah it's fine and I've been like okay maybe I'm really over panicking and actually they're just going off everyone else's faces <laughs> that's so true I remember going to one of our new regs once with um about with with the blood gas saying um you know this is the blood gas I was thinking about perhaps uh, doing this with the uh, ventilator doing this tweaking the ventilation this 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 way but um but I was just interested in you know what you thought whether you thought that was a good idea and whether we should do that and he just he turned around to me and he just smiled he said Sarah it's really lovely that you've come to speak speak to me about it but actually you know exactly what you're doing so I'm more than happy you know and that was that was lovely vote of confidence but yeah, yeah lovely. <laughs> and we've almost I don't know maybe it's gone now but yeah that hierarchy isn't it oh I must I must you know what if and actually yeah they're, they're yeah. then turning around going actually I'm pretty much I'm relying on you because yeah, yeah. you're the expert so in this particular it's all about the teamwork I think the hierarchy is interesting this is I, I have a particular interest in hierarchy because I you know there's no doubt during the pandemic we saw a flattening of it mm. and the teamwork was phenomenal and it was just about everybody whoever didn't matter what what name you had on your badge what job you had on your badge it was all hands on deck to help the patients um, and so, you know, there's a lot of, and a lot of the perceptees, when we talk about hierarchy, say, oh, it's ridiculous that they, we should have this hierarchy, people are called sister and everything else. But I say to them, so can I, I say, can I just ask you, so when something 
slightly uncomfortable happens, something bad happens on the ward. I said, who's the person that you say, if somebody complains, who's the person that you say to speak to? And they say, well, you have to speak to the nurse in charge. And I go, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so what part of hierarchy is bad is that about, you know? And they, they absolutely yeah. giggle away. Um, so I think it's a, it's a double-edged sword. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it depends whether it's used as a power di- dynamic in a bad way or whether actually it's used for good. You know, we all know certain things get done if you speak to certain people who perhaps yeah. are a bit more senior. Um, so if it's, used, if it's used to the patient's advantage, then it's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember having to put out the requesting the major hemorrhage uh, protocol um, and, and ringing and doing this whole conversation and this, the, someone at the blood bank going, absolutely not, that's not possible. You know, we're not dropping off a pack A. And then I just thought, well, I'll give it a go. And I was like, actually, I'm the sister, I'm the nurse in charge today. And she went, it, it will be there in 10 minutes. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the weird. What does that mean? And then there was that, that really sad case. I, can't, I remember reading it. Um, uh, it was in the newspaper, but it was about a patient who basically had, um, you know, had hemorrhaged and no one had activated the protocol and different junior doctors had tried to ring and get the blood bank to, mm-hmm. to issue the, the, the different packs. And it just hadn't been, you know, they said, no, it has to be a haematologist, but it was nighttime and they weren't getting a reply. And it became in this whole yeah. loop and the patient ended up really unwell and I thought of that situation you know I've rung on I'm the sister I was but yeah. she, they've got no idea who I am um yeah, yeah it's 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 interesting the hierarchy and <laughs> when it it's I used to hate being called sister I used to say to people you know when they call me sister I just said when I when I was on ITU and I'd say well please call me Sarah sister makes me feel about 105 and then you get these lovely nurses who would then say sister Sarah that's the only like um allowance (laughs) to add on the Sarah (laughs) but I I just get Sarah now and that suits me fine (laughs) yeah yeah that works um so you've done a lot of study throughout your life and in fact you said earlier you've been a petrol student um so you did your nurse training, you've done the diploma, you did your degree, you've ended a master's in leadership, um, your yeah. PG cert as well. Did you always enjoy that studying? Was that like a natural, like almost thing? Or was it just something that you kind of got into certain job roles and realised that you needed to do it to progress? So I think it's been a mixture, actually. So I, when I qualified, I did the ward-based training. So I came out with a nursing certificate. I didn't come out with any um, academic qualification. So that then led, when I did my intensive care course, I did that as part of my nursing diploma. I really didn't enjoy doing my nursing degree, that sort of top up from the diploma to the degree, because it felt very much like I was doing it because I had to rather because I had a genuine interest in what I was studying. And of course I was working full time as well as trying to study part-time. So I would say it was probably wasn't until I did my master's that I really started to enjoy the studying. It was still hard work. I was still doing the part-time study, full-time work thing, Mm. but I did my master's in leadership and it was absolutely fascinating. Again, great role model for our tutor, leadership tutor was so inspiring. So I really enjoyed that. And I didn't think I would do any more studying after that necessarily from an academic point of view. It felt like having that master's would open doors from a career perspective for me. So I could probably stop there. 
But then um, I was an ECMO specialist, clinical nurse specialist at the time, and, and you'll, you'll recognise this, Laura, but I was being asked to teach on intensive care courses or university courses for students. And I realised... guilty the reason... of that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> but I, I realised that... Um, no problem, I really enjoyed it. Um, I realised I was being asked because I was a clinical expert, but not necessarily because I could teach. And although I liked to think that I was doing okay with the teaching side because nobody had sacked me or, you know, asked me not to, never to return, I think for my own sort of peace of mind and my own confidence, I went then and did my, um, my postgrad certificate in education and actually built my confidence and competence around the teaching side with that. So um, you know, would, am I open to more education? Would I do more studying? Yeah, I probably would. I think I've always... When I started on intensive care on day one, bearing in mind I was only staying for six months originally, um, <laughs> the teaching sister there, again, another role model for me, uh, Annie Palmer, she was the teaching sister and she said, I've been here 10 years and I still learn something new every day. And that really inspired me. And again, I've remembered that for all those years. And she, she was right. You know, I'm for, forever, even now, if I do a bank shift on intensive care, then I come home or I, I, I get changed and I find a paper towel in my pocket with something scribbled on it. It'll be a new drug or a diagnosis I haven't heard of before or, you know, a research article somebody's mentioned that I should look up. And I think so I think I've always maintained that curiosity and that need to learn. So although I might not be doing any academic study at the moment, I'm still keeping abreast of things and still keeping myself up to date. So um, from from sort of very humble beginnings, I suppose, uh, I've I've embraced the the academic side and enjoyed it ultimately. Yeah. And I found when I did my PG cert, it was the first study that I'd done that wasn't clinical focused, that that wasn't, you know, advanced assessment, that wasn't the intensive care, that wasn't that. And it's saying I quite found it weird to this reflective piece and it was you had to do first person, it was I and it was like, how do you feel <laughs> about I don't know, this particular aspect? And I remember going to the lecture and being like but why does that matter? Like, not in horror, but like, do you know what I mean? Can I do it or not? And she's she looked at me and I was like, and, and she's a philosopher. And I, and I think there was just quite a big, and I realised, I was like, I think I've not missed the point, but I feel like I'm in a different kind of, I don't know, <laughs> I'm in a different a area. Very, it is a very different way of studying. And, you know, having come from, I mean, and to some degree, the leadership work as well, but like you say, from doing my intensive care course and doing my advanced um, assessment skills course, where it's very, you know, you know how to read a, a, a research paper that is yeah. an ITU research paper, whether it be medical or nursing, you know, that sort of very, really clear framework, concise, yeah, uh, factual. And then suddenly you go to learn something like leadership or, or teaching education, where there's this whole new language mm. and they seem to use lots of words to say something so you know these are there, there seem to be lots of paragraphs of information and when you but it boiled down to perhaps making a single point yes. <laughs> so, like, and I'm very it? very it's guilty of that of, of of like I'll like I'll like highlight have a whole thing and then I'll just write like yes or like I don't know, do you know what I mean does this answer the question and I'll just be like yeah. it does limitations and there's like two bullet points and I think sometimes there's yeah you're, it's too almost concise it's still that um I don't know maybe still the intensive care nurse brain that's I don't yeah. know trying to filter yeah 
I absolutely agree with you. I, I do think it's something to do with that. But it's it's it did me good because it it got me reading different papers, different types of papers. I say the new stuff around education. Um, but it's all about learning the language. I think with with studying, isn't it? It's it's learning the language of how to write in an academic way. In the same way that if we start a new specialty as a nurse, you have to learn the language. I've come into this job. I've been in a perceptual matron for a year now. In fact, a year today. It's my anniversary today. Oh, so happy the work um, birthday for the new job. Thank you. <laughs> um, but I, I noticed when I was attending meetings or finding out about the pre-reg curriculum, there was so much in there that I, so much language I didn't recognise that I've had to learn and now I don't think twice about it but even things like our, our student email is called help me on placement HMOP for short and I would see this HMOP written into different places and I, I thought I have no idea what this means and I remember asking the team and the team looking at me as though I had lost my mind because it's like well oh help me on obviously placement. <laughs> obviously and of course it is now because I know but um so I think the use of language is really is really interesting and, and getting used to, you know, with, there's a lot of work around cultural competence now, which I think is brilliant and, and certainly overdue, but everywhere has its own culture. So every clinical area has its own culture. You know, every team has its own culture. And I think it's about navigating that as well and, and getting to understand that when, when we start a new job. So yeah, lots of challenges, but it's great. <laughs> No, you mentioned about about doing bank about doing bank shifts in intensive care. How have you found yes. the kind of move into an education role and then kind of clinical written everywhere? It's clinical competence, isn't it? As though like you put on a different uniform yeah. and then you suddenly like forget everything you you ever knew. Yeah. That's something that's that's come up a lot lately. That I've been talking to a few colleagues about. What's your view on that, and how have you found that since starting in this new role? I um I found the transition from being full-time clinical to um to very limited clinical you know direct patient care I found it incredibly difficult and challenging and it's been a huge transition for me and what's been helpful about that is that I have been able to share with my perceptees you know they're going through this huge transition I've gone through this huge transition and I've had wobbles like they're having wobbles even though I'm 30 years ahead of them from a career perspective um, do I miss caring for patients? Yeah, absolutely. Every day. Do I miss it enough to to want to go and care for really sick people at three o'clock in the morning? I don't think I could do that full time now. No. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think I could go back. But just keeping my hand in. Um, I, I think being a nurse, I'm so proud of being a nurse and being a nurse is so much of who I am that I knew when I moved from intensive care, I mean, this, that was another example of, I didn't have any idea where I was going with my career. So the move I made from intensive care, I knew what I didn't want to do, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I certainly had never heard of perceptual matron before I saw the job, job advert. And it just seemed to pull together all the skills that I had built up over my career um, and pulled it all in sort of to one job. But I, what was very important to me, and the, my perceptives laugh at me when I say this, but, you know, I've gone from caring full time as a job. I had to take that caring somewhere. So now mm -hmm. I care for my perceptives, <laughs> whether they like it or not, whether they want to be cared for or not. Well, Actually, they're very lucky. I have to, 
I have to, you know, give that care out in some way. So, um, I mean, I haven't done it. I don't do a lot of bank shifts because working Monday to Friday, as you'll appreciate, and the only having yeah. weekends off. So it tends to be more. I think I did one on Easter Saturday last year and um, mm. you know, one when I was on annual leave. But I think I would. I, it's almost reassuring to me to go back and do a shift to show myself that I haven't forgotten how to be a nurse, mm. um, which is it seems ridiculous on one hand. But yeah. So really, really tough transition. Yeah. Mm. And it's something I've been thinking about lately because one of my students was saying, oh, she made some reference of, oh, you're not a, you're not a nurse anymore. And I thought it was interesting because because why being in full time in education, does that mean that you're, you know, what is a nurse? Like what what does yeah. that and, and, and if we're looking from a PIN and a registration point of view or a competence or I certainly now I feel like I know so much more and have developed a lot of my nursing skills, especially around communication and around kind of trying to increase competence and and classroom dynamics um since since coming into lecturing um, and it's not something I ever thought I would do I, I didn't you know think that this this was what I was going to be and I, I then kind of started off this thought of like and I used to do bank every month that was my or it was around you know bank holidays and over the Christmas yes. break yeah. and that had to be the kind of standard and but since I've become a program leader it's so full-on that I just haven't had the yeah haven't had the oomph to because I always used to become on a Friday to have the oomph to do a, do a working week and then and yeah. then book a day of annual leave and or do it on a Saturday and it was like you know at what point am I going to what's the juggle and what's the what and also studying too what's the priority is is the bank shift the priority yeah. or is the study the priority or um I think it's interesting I don't think there is one right answer but I, I don't know I personally just think it's not you must care for patients 100% of your time for you mm. still to be considered a nurse um and same as you I won't do shift for a while and I'll come back and, I, and I'm so nervous before and after an hour I'm like and I've got this really strong opinion on that. Like, I don't know, I'm having this on the wardrobe. I'm like, oh, wow, okay, it's there. <laughs> it was just bubbling under the surface. Yeah. And, and I suppose you were both in a position where we are influencing patient care. And I think that's the other thing that was that's really important. So it's the, the sort of direct caring side. But also, I knew it was important for me to do a job that, that was directly influencing the quality of patient care. And, you know, I, I might have 20% Ds in the room and I might have, half of them may be engaged and I might sort of some of the stuff I'm teaching may sink in and may influence the care of you know of the two of those perceptives going back into clinical practice well that's great when you think about over a career how many patients we care for yeah. you know if I've only had an impact on two perceptives out of every 20 then that's a good thing so so I think that is definitely I mean, when I went, I had a secondment into the chief nurse's office in 2016. Um, I did some pro trust-wide project work. Brilliant experience to get those project management skills. But after seven months, I missed patient care and I went back because, and that was the right decision for me at the time. Um, and, you know, I've had wobbles where I thought, oh, is this something, you know, now that now I've been away for a little while from clinical practice, would it, is it something I would go back to? Um, but I, I think, I think my never say never one thing I've learned in my career never say never, never, say never. never. you never know <laughs> but you know it's, it's not something I can foresee uh, I, I think there's there's a lot of work to be done within this role uh, we've got quite we've got a long we've come quite a long way I think with with the perceptual program with sort of re, the renewal of it um, but we've still there's still a lot more work to be done so I feel like it's a project that definitely has a, a lot more time in it and what advice have you got from a leadership point of view? 
I think the key key thing I would say about leadership is being visible. I think it's absolutely vital that people know who you are. Mm. Um, even with this job, when I when I had my interview for this job, I remember saying, I don't want to be the signature on an, the end of an email. Mm. And one thing I, I learned when I was on secondment, in fact, in the chief nurse office, I used to every lunchtime, we, we were in a separate building to the hospital, but every lunchtime I used to walk around the hospital because I found bumping into people in the corridor, I often achieved more in a 10 minute conversation with somebody in the corridor than I did by sending 15 emails. Yeah. So I do think people knowing who you are um, is really important. I think you have to role model. Um, that's definitely one of the key sort of leadership skills. And I think it's about getting to know people and being flexible and agile in your approach. So in the same way that we do when, when we're teaching, you know, every group, that every group in a room acts in a different way and so you have to yes we have our content of our teaching that we have to deliver but essentially how we deliver that reflects slightly depending on the group dynamic and I think it's the same when you're leading whether you're leading a team um, or you're leading a service it's that ability to think okay this person responds this person in my team responds best when I say this is the project that needs to be done and you're very black and white about it. This person responds better when you speak to them in a, a more nuanced fashion. This person likes you to be very direct. Uh, this person you, you need to be more sensitive around. So I think it's about getting to know your team, um, getting to know how each member in your team you communicate with, but also then how you get your team to work well together as well. Um, and not just assuming people will just get on with things but actually having a, a presence not micromanaging because I've, I've been micromanaged and that's not not nice so so I think it's being able to acknowledge as well the skills in your team and not to be threatened by people who might have more expertise in an area than you have because the role of the leader is to be able to harness that expertise and bring people together and get them to work well together in order to create the best possible outcome usually for a patient or or for uh, for training purposes so so visibility definitely role modeling visibility getting to know the people in the team and particularly if you're maybe in a maybe a leadership position or you're managing something I think particularly it's easy to maybe to get quite intimidated by other members of the team or oh but they've been there longer than me or they're more yeah. experienced or they've got this training or this master's or and I don't and I think it's something I've yeah. I've had at various points and you're right actually it's not that we can all do everything perfectly ourselves it's that we can get people to work together for that outcome whatever we're yes. whatever we're trying yeah. to achieve yeah. And, and perhaps, again, I had a really good role model in, um, um, in Charing Cross, our, our, uh, the, the Narayani who ran our team there. We were a small team and it was the first time anybody had sat me down and talked about team dynamics and how I was quite an act I was a lot more um, of an activist in my approach um, then. So I, I, I like had these ideas and I like to talk and I, I wanted everybody to get on board with my ideas because it was they were good ones and you know and then there was another girl on our team who was a reflector and she used to drive me mad because I think why why is she not responding to me yeah why is it not immediate yeah why is it not immediate response and unbeknown to me I was driving this other girl mad because she was like hang on a minute I need to 
let me just think about this and let, let's, I can think about the fine detail. She was good at the fine detail. I was good at, at the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And what Narayani taught us, our team leader and taught us, we did some group work and we went off and had um, sort of an away day. And we looked at how, what we were both bringing to the table, how, how we could complement each other. But in order to do that, we needed to understand each other. Mm-hmm. So I started to slow down and think things through a bit more carefully and then present ideas in a more careful fashion. And, and then the other girl was got to realize, okay, that's how I work. So she would actually say, right, great, great ideas. I'm gonna take those away, give me, a couple of hours or give me a day and I will get back to you and it, it's about that sort of understanding and our team leader was able to harness that so mm-hmm. and God is working really well together because she captured perhaps the best in both of us in order to create the best outcome so yeah not another another good role model <laughs> yeah and that's a really good example because how often in any situation would you have that kind of exercise or to understand mm where someone it might just be that you would work together and go oh oh god she's on shift or oh we've got to work together for this project and you yeah. might kind of roll your eyes a bit or think in your head obviously it's going to be really difficult but actually Absolutely. by just understanding um a point of view like I'm a million mark like in my my brain is constantly whirring so in my brain I've already like no it's a problem there's a solution there's another solution and it's done before I've even said to everyone oh I want to make this one change I've already like planned it <laughs> written it taught it it's been evaluated so and I have to remember that I'm there constantly like what about this and this and this and that must be really annoying because it's like <laughs> hang on a minute you haven't even explained like what was the problem again and I'm like yeah. well, we can do this worksheet and then we're gonna and I've had to learn like particularly maybe in the last year or so I'm coming up to my kind of work birthday for my new role of like not everyone is at this like constant and one of my colleagues at week work said last week she said is it really tiring to be in your brain and I was like (laughs) yeah actually that's probably why I sleep so much um but that's that's just how it's almost like I've got to have like my different projects on the go because otherwise it's like a constant so for me like the study of the doctorate and this the podcast and work that's enough to keep like all the different like worry bits kind of I don't know quieter I don't know if that's the (laughs) if that's the right thing but I hadn't quite realized how that would come across to anyone else it is exhausting but because it's very the same manager and 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 even my current manager his brain is phenomenal I mean you you go with to discuss something and he has come up with 16 solutions before you've Mm -hmm. had chance to catch your breath you know it's the way his his brain works and and we laugh now because you know we've we've I've worked with him long enough and he's very open to sort of saying right let let me let me take that first idea or those first two ideas you've come up yeah. with and take them away and see what I can do with them and then I'll come back to you and we can discuss the others you know so it is yeah <laughs> you are exhausting to be around <laughs> sorry <laughs> that's good everyone can have a nap after this uh, after this, this episode that's okay no I'm not no, I'm not. no you know what I'm really joking but it's um yeah, yeah, yeah. it is it is funny how we ha- all have those and it's because we all has, have those different skills in the same way that we, you know, as nurses, we all have like different specialities. That's what makes mm-hmm. the NHS work. And, and it's the same in, in teams. It's really important to have different people with different um, strengths in your team mm-hmm. to complement each other. Yeah. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for <laughs> talking through your career and, and sharing <laughs> your pose of wisdom to everyone. It's been so lovely to have you. Thank you very much, Laura. 